Rinpoche first requests us to enter into these teachings in the noble spirit of bodhicitta, uh, with an intention to study and practice dharma for the welfare of all beings throughout the limitless expanse of space, and longing to bring each and every one of them to utterly pure, totally perfect, and most precious enlightenment. In our study of Dhamma this afternoon, we reached the second area of this brief overview of the three levels of vows. This is the second area dealing with the Bodhisattva vow. Mm-hmm. As far as the Bodhisattva vow is concerned, then unlike the Pratimoksha vows that we've been looking at up until now, there is um, no distinction of levels. There is no distinction between uh, male and female, that these are the uh, ones for men to take, these are the ones for women to take, that this level leads on to another level of vows, or that first you take this, then this is the training for that. It's not. It is totally um, universal. So for whoever takes it, the bodhisattva vow is the bodhisattva vow. It's the it's the same. Um and there's another difference between this uh, Bodhisattva vow and the Pratimoksha in as much as the Pratimoksha vows as we saw when we studied the layperson's vows or the novice uh, monks and nuns' commitments then uh, whereas they are mainly concerned with actions of body and speech 
with physical, verbal actions. The bodhisattva vow is um, mainly focused on the mind. Its whole emphasis is on how the mind is um, used. Ninayon,容来用偏激,三千用来,三千来偏激,今天,容来用偏激,今天,容来用偏激,今天,容来用偏激,今天,容来用偏激,今天,容来用偏激,今天,容来用偏激,今天,容来用偏激,今天,容来
and this is total enlightenment, perfect Buddhahood. Mm-hmm. So there are mm, two objectives to we're working with the mind uh, in order that that mind attains its wisdom, its deepest wisdom, we call pranja, and we're aiming to work with that mind so that it becomes very beneficial for other beings. This twofold objective, twofold purpose. Mm-hmm. If both of those purposes or intentions, objectives, are there, then it is uh, an authentic bodhicitta. It's, it is an authentic bodhisattva vow or if we take the words literally, a truly characterized bodhisattva vow. If one of them is missing, then it isn't. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ta if we explore this um, authenticity of bodhicitta a little further, then with the first objective is the compassionate objective of helping other beings, is compassion. That compassion needs to be selfless. A parent can feel an awful lot of compassion and sympathy for a child. Parents uh, have a lot of loving care and, and sympathy for their child's suffering. But the characteristic of the compassion that we're seeking to achieve with our mind is a compassion for everyone that's not at all coloured by proximity, by any connection with self, my friend, my relative, person who's close to me. So then that means that we're working towards a state of total impartiality. Impartiality where every single being, each and every single being, each and every 
sentient being, is cared for as much as every other one. We're aiming for a state where there is no more bias towards the ones we care for a little bit more and the ones we don't care for at all. Kareena It's hard to say outside of Buddhism uh, just what loving care and compassion does and doesn't exist. What we can do is to present um, compassion in the way that uh, the enlightened one Shakyamuni taught us. There it's very clear. Otherwise it's hard to know because we can even see with uh, not just human beings, not just thinking of the compassion they can have, which sometimes can, it can seem to be very great indeed, sometimes not so much. But even when we study animals, tigers and lions, we can see how lovingly and caringly they look after their cubs, for instance. There's an awful lot of tenderness and care and uh, sympathy. Um, but what we're looking at very clearly, what we're looking for in the Buddhist teachings is for a compassion that is totally the same for everyone. It's not limited to two or three beings. It is uh, so extensive it's infinite. It is not colored or polluted by any attachment, any selfishness or bias. It's free from all those things and it's all embracing. Yanja 
That's another question. But anyway, there are hundreds of ways of making temporary happiness. But here the objective is last, lasting happiness. A state of being that overcomes any obstacle to the, that twofold state of mind. In other words, the uh, compassion that enables us to work for all beings, the wisdom that enables us to attain to a Buddhahood. Uh, anything that is contrary to that in the realms of physical activity, verbal activity, mental activity needs to be squashed, needs to be overcome. And anything that's helpful needs to be nurtured. So the essence of what we call bodhicitta or the bodhisattva vow is a, the commitment to that twofold objective and the commitment to removing body, speech, and mind obstacles to its attainment. Mm-hmm. So those two objectives they need to they need to be there um, and when they're there then that's uh, bodhicitta we can call it bodhicitta when that um, basic when that basis which is the intention to achieve enlightenment in order to help sentient beings if we put the two things together then uh, then we can already call that person uh, a bodhisattva but uh, both of them need to be there it's not like with the pratimoksha vow where um, you have various possibilities 
where it can be taken, they can be taken uh, with the objective of self-benefit or the objective of benefiting all beings. Um, there, it has to be in the perspective of benefiting all beings, that there are those two, two factors. ตาเอียวะเกนะนี่ไปเอียวะตะบุติเกตินดิเจดีนะตาหองมันตาไปอยู่บาริกะเรลานะนะตาสงจิเซียงกองธรรมะตะลาเตนี่เดวะทุตธ
is something different. And so each of those has their names, and each of those levels, each of them is bodhicitta, each of them is this same noble intention, helping beings, attaining enlightenment, but unfolded to a, more or less, to a different extent. Well, we don't have time. Uh, keep saying that, but we don't have time to go through all these 22 examples in this particular course. But in the future, when our um, Shedra study program is up and running here, then we will doubtless have the opportunity of studying, uh, maybe studying with Kembola, um, the uh, Abhisamaya Alankara, or the ornament of um, uh, certain realization. And in there we have a very thorough explanation of these 22 examples. In other words, we have a very thorough portrait of this Bodhisattva journey through the different levels. Uh, if we sum up bodhicitta, not through those 22 similes, but in a very simple and very, very classical and famous way, then bodhicitta exists in two main aspects. One uh, is what's usually called relative bodhicitta, or bodhicitta within relative existence, and the other is called ultimate bodhicitta, or the very Highest Relative bodhicitta, what is ultimate bodhicitta? First, we have relative bodhicitta or bodhicitta within the relative world. This itself has two main components, very, very famous. These are the aspiring, the bodhicitta as aspiration and bodhicitta as practice. Mamba so then what 
is the bodhicitta's aspiration? What is bodhicitta as practice? Well, the first of those is bodhicitta as aspiration, and this is a longing to practice, to achieve enlightenment for the benefit of all beings. It's a noble mind, it's a good mind, it's the noble intention. That's mainly what the aspiration is. Uh, longing to attain, longing to practice in order to benefit all beings. Sorry, I forgot a bit in that last one. Uh, and then, if we take an analogy for that, then um, it is like recognizing that there is a sickness and forming the intention, I must do something about that, must do something to make it better. Recognizing a sickness and uh, really setting one's mind firmly on the intention to heal it, to get rid of it. Now, for the second one, which is bodhicitta as practice, bodhicitta as practice, this is the actual doing of whatever needs to be done by way of bodhisattva practice to achieve that intention. It's the actual practice itself. In the analogy, once one set one's mind on getting better, then this is the actual taking of the medicine, going to a hospital for the operation, whatever it may be that needs to be done in order that that intention is fulfilled. This uh, second aspect of bodhicitta, um, we could call it application. It's very close to the Tibetan in that way. You could say aspiration and application. And uh, the actual vows that are involved, the commitments to the practice, which is the application of one's wish, uh, are, are a lot. There are many, many of them. If we sum them up, then the way we can sum them up is that one is committed to accomplish the practice of the six paramitas. The six paramitas sum up all of the different areas of bodhisattva practice um, that need to be done in order to achieve enlightenment to help beings. So there one is committed to the practice of uh, the paramita of generosity. One's committed to the practice of the paramita of right conduct. One's committed to the practice of the paramita 
of forbearance and so on through the six paramitas. So this is something we need to understand very clearly. It's a simple, basic thing we absolutely need to know that um, bodhicitta breaks down into two aspects, relative and ultimate, and that the relative bodhicitta breaks down in itself into two aspects, the aspiration and the actual practice. As far as the ultimate bodhicitta is concerned, then it could be made very complicated, but we can sum it up very simply as one thing. It is achieving what is known as achieving the view. Now, uh, realizing the view, realizing in the sense of making real within oneself, making real the view of wisdom that understands no self, making real the view of the wisdom that understands no self. So then, what are the methods for making real this view about the uh, non-self of of a phenomena? Sorry, that last one was wrong. The Jancho Sempi Dombake Topake Cheta Dinico and Yeah, I got the proper the subject wrong. So uh, forget that last bit. So then is it what do we need in order to acquire this bodhisattva vow? Not the wisdom, that's we've gone too far there. What do we need to acquire this bodhisattva vow? Well, in order to undertake bodhicitta then we need two things. It needs somebody who is a suitable candidate, has the right qualities, and they need to receive the vow from a properly qualified preceptor or master. Lama 
As far as the um, preceptor is concerned, then that person needs, well, in fact, there's quite a lot of teaching about that, uh, many different teachings, but if we make it the simplest form, the simplest qualification, then the preceptor needs at least three qualities. They're the following. First, that person needs uh, themselves to have kept the bodhisattva vow purely. They need to hold the vow because they've not broken or damaged it. That's the first thing. Second is that they need to be skilled in performing the ceremony. They need to know uh, by heart and be very familiar with um, guiding the student through the vow. The third quality is that they should be naturally endowed with compassionate care for their uh, followers, their students, uh, which means that they shouldn't be um, performing ceremonies and giving vows, either because there's a cash incentive or because um, they want to be seen as somebody who gives lots of vows and is a great teacher and uh, bringing lots of people into the Dharma. This should be their sole intention and motivation in giving the ceremony and the vow should be a natural loving care for the students. ตัวนี้ดอมบาโบจุเอ่อเป็นอาจารย์ชิคาวาลิสุนชวนยุนนี้ดอมบาโบจุยูบาเรตาเตงารุโซชวเชนเอ่อฮวนโรกะชานโร
and this is done by visualizing the sources of refuge in space in front of oneself and by sincerely taking the vow three times from that imagined field of refuge. So this will be something very similar to what we do in the preliminary practices for Mahamudra when we do the prostrations and refuge practice where in front of you in space you visualize the three jewels and then from them uh, you, you take refuge and then afterwards you receive the uh, bodhisattva commitment. That's very briefly about the preceptor. Then about the person taking the precepts, again, a lot is said about that, but if we make it as simple as it can be, then there are two qualities that need to be present to make somebody suitable for this bodhisattva undertaking. The first condition is that it should be somebody whose intention is to strive for ultimate enlightenment. Their intention is to strive for ultimate enlightenment. And this doesn't mean some sort of hazy idea of some sort of happiness or happiness with some sort of self-interest. It needs to be a very clear target on the total enlightenment of a Buddha, a total freedom from suffering, the most perfect happiness. This is the first um, characteristic of the supplicant's mind. They should be longing for that. Lala 
天地的天地的天地的天地的天地的天地的天地的天地的天地的天地的天地的天地的天地的天地的天地的天地的天地的天地的天地的天地的天地的天地的天地的天地的天地的天地的天地的天地的天地的天地的天地的天地的天地的天
ನಿಧಿ ಹೋಗುದು ಜಲಾನ so then the sec that's the first thing it's this longing to attain enlightenment because it's the ultimate happiness the second thing is compassion if there's no if a person has no natural compassion then the bodhicitta the bodhisattva mind um can't be awakened within them um it's a, it's as simple as that the word compassion again has many facets of explanation many subcategories but if we put it that simply uh, if there's if there's very little or no compassion in the person then uh, they're not a suitable candidate for the vow ta deni wana na deni na ha roman chenji tsongari deni jongi chenji namba hibina yo namba tobari those two things are the Uh, proper characteristics of the supplicant for the bodhisattva vow so then if we have the preceptor who fits the bill if we have the aspirant that fits the bill then the vow can be taken dini shongje chen rawo ndacha gizi ge zawa rawo gari chwa de wolle jina shongje chen mato na na jela mato na ถ้าดูเกเดวะทอดเกียวบะมะริชงจิจิเซนเนี่ยล่ะเตียนนี่ซงจิติเกียวบะริเตียนดิติล่ะอมันจุปินนวลังโกนิมาระนะโทมะน
of perfect enlightenment can never come about until this mentality has been taken on board, integrated into oneself, and the way to do it is through the bodhisattva vow. This is what the inner meaning of the vow is. It is incorporating that mentality into the life stream. Once that wish, that mentality based in compassion is there, then the rest is possible. In the text called Entering the Middle Way, Majumakavatara, then in there it says how uh, compassion is the working basis. Compassion, and then this compassion expressed as the Bodhisattva vow, is the basis for all of the work to enlightenment. And it points out that that work is based in selflessness. This mentality, which is one of uh, immaculate concern for the welfare of all, absolutely all beings, is the basis for enlightenment. Self-interest is the basis for samsara, is the basis for suffering. All suffering comes because of egotism and self-interest. All the Buddhas who ever became enlightened became that way through their compassion and their compassionate bodhicitta. So this is why there's a need to take the vow because the vow is the way that that mentality becomes integrated into each of us. Oh yeah. Thank you. Please hold him in Please let us. He said the police never came because the light flashing is <laughs> I see. It's Inspector Cluzo. <laughs> so, does that mean that we can start now? I'll stop now. うん。<笑><笑><笑><笑><笑><笑><笑> シンプルポテチャゴウニデワティジテレムドゴンワレトンボ。シンプルポカリヤジオディナタゴウニデワトジテレムドティナロニレディンドソンディハコゴンワレドハコゴンディテラナアロンゴルヤポシェンゴヤ
If we consider the teachings of Lord Buddha, they are so, so skillful, they are so wise. And first, the Buddha's teaching, or the Buddha, shows us that happiness can't be achieved through external objects. It doesn't matter what we have, what material circumstances we're in, they can't guarantee deep happiness. Already the first step is to help us realize that happiness comes from what we are, not the circumstances that we're in. It's how we ourselves are. So in these um, Pratimoksha precepts, in the self-liberation vows, already the Buddha gives us precious ways of working with our body, our physical actions, working with our speech, what we say, how we communicate, so that life becomes more pleasant all round. We learn how to remove any harm that our body and our speech causes, and this makes for ourselves already a lot of happiness, a lot of harmony. That's true, but then um, that's a beginning. It's like learning the alphabet. It's an introduction to how the way we handle ourselves, if we put it in modern English, how we use our lives, is the key to happiness. The key is not out there, it's 
It's in here, how we live our lives. That's like the ABC. But then mind is the most important thing because even if our physical conduct is good, even if our speech is good speech, when our mind is not at rest, when our mind is anguished, no matter how the body and speech are, we can't say uh, we're happy. And so the Buddha's beautiful wisdom is to show us that the happy mind is the mind that's training itself towards this total concern for all sentient beings. And that the pain and the anguish that's in the mind comes from self-centeredness. It comes from the mind that um, is locked onto notions of I and mine. And then through that there's the partiality where you have the I and the mind to which you're attached and the other and the yours which um, becomes uh, a competition, becomes the enemy, becomes something to be rejected. And on the basis of that polarity of being drawn to some things and rejecting other things, then all of the pain that comes with ego develops. So the Buddha realizes, has realized so wisely and so skillfully that the mind which is totally dedicated to the welfare of all beings is a free, is a happy mind. As far as I'm actually taking the vow is concerned, then there is the ceremony. And there are two major traditions of ceremony. The, and these come down through the two great streams of Mahayana. The first stream comes from the great Bodhisattva Maitreya through the worldly being Arya Asanga and then down through a lineage to the great master Shantideva and on and on up until the present day. And that tradition is called the tradition of the profound view. The tradition of the profound view. So it comes from Sorry, what did that? No. What did I just say? I'm completely wrong. Sorry, it's all mixed up. I get that. Totally mixed up. Start again. Totally mixed up. Scratch it out. The first one is called the tradition of the profound view. Tradition of the profound view. It comes from the great Bodhisattva Manjushri, down through Nagarjuna, and then down from Nagarjuna through his disciples to Shantideva. And that's, that's the tradition of the profound view. That's its name. The second major tradition is the tradition of vast conduct. Vast conduct. This comes from Bodhisattva Maitreya, down through his main disciple Asanga, and then down through a lineage to Chandragomen, 
up and then from then up until the present day. That's the tradition of the vast conduct. Now, these are two traditions, so they're two different lineages with their own transmissions, their own history, their own geography. Um, and the ceremonies differ a little bit in their detail and in their style, but intrinsically, there's no difference. Um, uh, they are two equally valid ways of taking the uh, bodhisattva vow. And the essence of what happens as one takes the vow is the same. Uh, when one takes the vow, it's not like the uh, self-liberation vows, which, depending on which one it is, can be taken for 24 hours or some of the ordinations for one year or three years or four years or until one dies at the maximum. Here, there is no choice of time scale. The Bodhisattva vow is taken from now until whenever it is, in whichever life, one reaches the very heart of enlightenment. That's the only duration that's possible for the vow. In the self-liberation vows, then there are very well-defined rules about who can take which vows. We saw that it's mainly humans who can take them, with one or two exceptions, and that it's humans of the three continents, not the fourth continent, and so on and so forth. Now, with the Bodhisattva vow, any sentient being, human, deva, naga, whatever sort of sentient being it is that understands the vow, that would like to take the vow, and that seems able of keeping the vow, can take it. There is no formal limitation that's saying these beings can, these beings can't, because with the Pratimoksha, even though it's human, then sometimes that human being has to um, comply with certain characteristics uh, concerning all sorts of things. And here there isn't that. If there is the wish and the understanding, then any being can take the Bodhisattva vow. 
마도바 토바시비 다 들은 로타소 토바 마녀바 송이다 다디 넘바지 토나 다파 마녀시 야보지 송거와라 다 가자 송거와라 이가리시 거와라나 다디 넘바 송지다르키레 in uh, the teachings on the bodhisattva vow the first step which we've just covered briefly is uh, how someone who doesn't have it can acquire it uh, and then the next step is once it's been obtained then how to nurture it how to stop it from deteriorating The way to nurture it is through the three sorts of right conduct. The right conduct that avoids harmful action, the right conduct which nurtures virtue, and the right conduct which works for the benefit of others. That's the right conduct which avoids harmful action, the right conduct which nurtures virtue, and the right conduct which specifically works for the benefit of others. Then the first of these is the right conduct or the pure conduct that avoids um, harmful actions, that avoids negativity. And there, uh, there are many categories, but one way of categorizing it is in terms of the bodhisattva who's observing that conduct. And there we look at those of dullar capacity, those of middling capacity, and those of most excellent capacity. For the the Dala Bodhisattva, Dala, not so not so bright, not so gifted, giftingly challenged, however we put it, Bodhisattva, then um, there is it's very simple. There's just one thing to observe. It doesn't get much simpler than one thing to have to observe. But even though it's only one, maybe it's not that easy to do. So if it's someone who's not too sharp, then that's rememberable, it's observable, just one thing. It's not too complicated, not too much to keep in mind or remember, just one thing should be able to be done. Uh, 
And this is found in Talaki Pindodi. Talaki Pindodi Nuna. And this one thing is found in a sutra which is called the Sutra in Skillful Means. The Sutra of Skillful Means. The Sutra of Skill in Means. Tata Kariri Dinana. Monsen Mandora. Momba Sensei. Tupa Mandora. Tati Tong Karina Wujin Kogavarilana. and there the thing to observe is this never to let drop the mentality of benefiting all beings never to drop never to let drop the mentality of benefiting all sentient beings so it's uh, not much to remember but it means that one's mind all the time needs to be turned to the welfare of everyone. And so dropping it means self-benefit, working for your uh, selfish endeavor rather than altruistic endeavor. Tombo, <laughs> Tani, so in one way it's delightfully simple. It's just one thing, never to lose this altruistic concern. Uh, it's simple because it's one thing, but to do it is very, very, very difficult. When we are engaged in activities, then if we have energy to expend, if we're going to do anything in the world, then normally that 
what we're doing is to benefit ourselves or those close to us, our family, uh, the people we really like. And these usually pop up in our mind first. What can I do for my friend? What can I do for my loved one, my brother, my sister? And it's not usually the first thought, how can I use this energy, these resources, to benefit everybody in a very impartial way? And then when we meditate, if we meditate, if we don't feel too good, if our mind's not very happy or confused, then when we meditate, are we looking in the meditation, oh, now I'm going to meditate to benefit all beings, or are we sitting down to meditate hoping that we're going to feel a bit better by the end of the session, that our minds will be calmer, our minds will be happier? So it's a very simple thing to say, but actually to practice this um, uh, how can you say not so bright persons bodhicitta is very very difficult and in fact this not so bright persons simple version of bodhicitta applies to absolutely even the most deep practice if we've lost that altruistic intention then we can't say we're practicing Mahamudra we can't say we're practicing Dzogchen the moment that the mind is self-centered or friends and close ones centred, anti-enemy centred. We can't say we're practising any of those profound things, including the bodhicitta. <laughs> Sella, <laughs> For instance, everywhere we are in Dharma centers, we start so many things with this prayer. You probably all know. And Sonji Chudan, Soji Chonam, Majan Chupadidan. I take refuge in Buddha, Dharma, and the Noble Assembly, uh, and may I achieve enlightenment uh, in order to bring benefit to all sentient beings. It's the way we start so many things. That's what we say with our mouths. But as we're sitting there saying that with our mouths and our hands joined in prayer, uh, how many people, if they're even concentrating on the prayer, are actually uh, are not thinking may I achieve some sort of enlightenment for my own benefit and may I achieve some sort of happiness and I take refuge in order that uh, things might be better for me? If we really look at the intention, is the intention in the heart and mind of the person making that prayer the same as the words uh, which come out of the mouth? Mm-hmm. 
So, and, that, yeah, and then before Rinpoche said, it's really quite strange. Not to say something else. He said, it's really quite strange. And so then there's often a big gap between what we say, what we pray, and actually what we mean in our hearts. ตาเดตาบอกโนนะเนี่ยเปียนยาปุยโยบดีนะหินเจเนนะบอกจิตเนี่ยแลเพ็นบาก็ซ้อมบายาปุยโยนะคนตอนตอดรงเยดเนนโ
This is very, very pleasant. It's a nice way to live. The person themselves naturally feels good because they have this care in mind. And then they feel extra good because the feedback that's coming to them is positive and they have friends and support. Someone who is self-centered, all the time thinking me, 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 and then exploiting the other people or not really caring about the other people but always fighting for their own corner, then people feel that. They resent it. They don't think very well of that person. They stay away from that person or not nice things happen. So beside the fact that the person, because they've got a me, me, me mind, is unhappy in the first place, because that's usually quite a confused, tortured mind. On top of it, the feedback they're getting, the lack of friendship, the bad vibes they're getting from the other people, this is also very, very uncomfortable. These are not profound things. These are very, very obvious things that in the world, loving, caring people uh, are happy people. So uh, this, this is what Rumte was saying in the first place, that if there isn't this loving concern for others, not only do we not have the basis for actually helping other people, but also we're not helping ourselves. It's not good for us. So if we run over that quickly again, then the person who uh, does have the loving care is somebody who is uh, loved and cared for uh, by others, who gets the positive feedback. When people see that person coming around the corner, they light up, they feel happy, they feel good, there's a nice response. And the person who is self-centered and doesn't have that sort of care, then people steer away from them. And sometimes uh, their life gets quite difficult. So when we think, well, what lies at the heart of this? What is it that distinguishes one person from another? Whether this person is really appreciated and loved and cared for, and this person is isolated and uh, not much liked or appreciated. Really, it comes down to how much loving care and altruism there is in that person, and then if we take that to the next level, how well their bodhicitta is established and working. So uh, we'll leave the formal talk uh, there, and Rinpoche invites your questions.
Ana ci voce. Te che eh invece cashi che non da tene eh chogona tene don pashuna eh tene eh de dujuna <laughs> so, uh, seeing as there wasn't a question, I took advantage to throw in a question, uh, which would Rinpoche please kindly explain the difference between formally taking a vow and the consequences of that and just having a good mind, for instance, with, with refuge or whatever it is that you naturally feel for the Buddha and the Dharma, the Sangha, the difference between that and formally taking refuge and so on. Uh, because in the text it does say there is a, a big difference. ดอมบาเจลายอเคสุสุทายดอมบายอเคนี่กินชงจิเซนจิดอมบายอเคนตะตะนี่ดาวมะมันดาปายอปาระมะมันดาปาติเกวะจิปาดาวผาตะสาละ
ที่ดอมบาตสงจิตะเลขินะจินซ้อนนองตงกะดาอะดิเซเลติเกะดิโยกะดิวาเปนะงิญญะกะคาลิสุนิเมเอ่อติงกะจิโตญะเสซาติม
is quite important because for however long we take the vow, then for that period of time we have this constant fountain, constant source of, um, of, of virtue. So even if we take vows for 24 hours, then one has 24 hours non-stop virtue being generated by keeping, keeping those vows. So there is an enormous difference between somebody who has a commitment, a formal vow to something, and somebody who just from time to time when they remember feels that way, feels like a bodhisattva, feels like someone who's taken refuge. An enormous difference. เปนานะเตนราวจีตะเคลันดอมบามานุนะเจ้าก็มาเสกิโอปะมาเรเตยานายอเจ้าดิปะมันดิเกวายอมันดิเรเตยตะงามาเสกิเมนเสกดอมบ
ニマセレメラキレシナ so if one understands that, then it makes sense of quite a few things. And for instance, if you've already got the taken the vow not to kill, and then you move up to a next level of vow. Um, so whatever it is then again when you take the next level of precepts you take the set of precepts and you promise not to kill from now on I'm not going to kill this looks a bit strange if already for instance say you've been uh, uh, a fully what is it uh, a complete lay practitioner you have life vows as a lay practitioner to observe the eight precepts you've already promised you're not going to kill anybody so then it looks very funny you come in front of an abbot and say Oh, from now on, I'm not going to kill anybody. Well, you know, what's going on? Why all of a sudden is somebody coming and saying, I'm not going to kill anybody anymore? <laughs> Making that promise. It looks a bit strange. Uh, it looks a bit strange anyway, I mean, in a, in a way, because it's, you know, murdering people is not nice. But then when one understands that this very firm and clear-cut con- determination of vow that's part of this set of vows or that set of vows, not to do this, sets the mind in a certain mode, a certain frame, which means from then on you have all of the virtue of being somebody who is committed that way, then we can understand what's going on when we come in and take such a a commitment. Questions all dried up. (laughs) 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 Any questions are okay, but. Oh, yeah, okay. (laughs) Good. Um, 
try to enlighten them. One aspect of it is to say, well, that's big goal, maybe pretty much too big. But when I look a bit more in detail, when there's always some doubt what the real benefit is of the to follow a path with no return. The Bodhisattva is coming back all the time for help, but the Buddha probably can't come back at all. And there's always like a something missing in my mind to, to see the real benefit of not coming back. For example, Buddhism is distinguishing in here. Of course, established mind is there, isn't it? And so maybe there's something I, I don't understand on a deeper level, which really wholeheartedly can say I would like to strive to enlighten them. Yeah, so in your understanding, the Buddha doesn't, doesn't, doesn't help sentient beings. Tokimen, pacha kelen yare. Then in Diana, then in Janchup Semper, so on the Pijanchup Semper, the Dujuna Sinjin Tamcheki, Dun la Chepe, Chick, the Sonji, the Tamche de Depa, Drokin, Chicken, Tets Hakuk in the door. <laughs> well, as a last minute question, that's quite a question. <laughs> I hope you brought sandwiches. Oh, <laughs> yeah. ตาดีเอ่อตะวะตะชิชะกะเตยตุกะลิขะบุจิเรอืมเอ่อเอ่อเอ่อเลลาบุนะกูกูลาบุจิเรมะนี่ติตะวะตาอ่าตากะเรเ
Tini Sont 
Yes, it's a, it's a profound question to answer and it, it leads us into many deep areas of reflection. Uh, first thing to say is the bodhisattvas who make this promise, I'm not going to become enlightened until every single sentient being has been taken out of samsara, it's not every bodhisattva. So to understand that, it's some bodhisattvas who do this and this would take us into an area of the teaching which describes the three main types of bodhisattva, the ones who are like a king leading an army, the ones who are like a, a boatman in the same boat with others, and the ones who are like a shepherd who make sure all of the flock are safe before they themselves. And so there are three sorts of bodhisattva. So it's the ones like the shepherd who make that particular promise. And from the sound of that promise, it sounds like when you become a Buddha... It's almost as though, uh, well, it's because there's no more work to do to benefit other beings, or somehow becoming a Buddha is beyond helping sentient beings. Now, that isn't the case. So this sort of promise and this sort of attitude is an attitude. It's an attitude which is very, very helpful in overcoming a self-interest. And when we saw today that the Bodhisattva's motivation is focused on two things, the compassionate wish to help sentient beings and the wisdom wish to achieve enlightenment, then uh, this is uh, something that very much reinforces that first compassionate wish to help all sentient beings. It's an attitude that, that nurtures a person's mind. It's a very good attitude. Um, but the fact, but it doesn't mean that when one becomes a Buddha there is no uh, help for sentient beings. On the contrary, and so it's an attitude that has its place in relative bodhicitta. Of the two sorts of bodhicitta, you have the relative and the ultimate. So within the relative bodhicitta, which means bodhicitta, within our relative mind, within the relative world, this attitude that I'm going to make sure everybody else is okay before there's any total benefit for myself is very, very helpful in that. But when we turn our mind to ultimate bodhicitta, then within the ultimate bodhisattva mind, then uh, all benefit for sentient beings is already and totally spontaneously accomplished. Uh, and there are many examples for this in texts like the uh, Mahayana Uttara Tantra Shastra, the Changeless Nature, where you get... Um, uh, uh, a whole set of examples for how spontaneously, automatically, and without any thought at all, the timeless Buddha mind, which is a Buddha, helps beings. It's compared, just one of the examples is like the sun and its rays. The sun doesn't need to think to open up this flower or to ripen that harvest or to do what all the things it does. By the mere fact of it being the sun, all of those things happen. Light comes into the world. Many, many things happen. It doesn't need to think. 
It doesn't need to plan to help each situation. It just is the sun. And ultimate bodhicitta is like that. It is the sun of the timeless, perfect Buddha mind that automatically helps beings more than anything else. When one becomes a Buddha, one uh, becomes that. But until that happens, when there's this ultimate benefit for all sentient beings, then on the path, as one's taking away the obstacles and the obscurations that cover this perfect, timeless mind, then this attitude of, which is one way of doing it, of I'm going to be the very last one, to achieve is something that's a very helpful attitude. But we shouldn't mistake the value of that attitude as being a part of the Buddhist teachings that say when you're a Buddha you've gone beyond all of it and you're not helping beings anymore. But then uh, the question of what is a Buddha takes us into very deep and complex waters. Tangaro Sanjay 用東西先生的東西去弄吧,對呢,送進呢,用先生的東西去弄吧。Kilashiatongsonotongan,这种的话,我觉得,我们的话,我们的话,我们的话,我们的话,我们的话,我们的话,我们的话,我们的话,我们的话,我们的话,我们的话,我们的话,我们的话,我们的话,我们的话,我们
for a bodhisattva as an inspiration, it's very, very healthy. And if we compare the benefit that comes out of a Buddha for sentient beings and the benefit radiating from a bodhisattva for sentient beings, there is no doubt that the benefit from a Buddha is incomparably greater. And going up through the bodhisattva levels, it increases and increases, but then from the bodhisattva levels to enlightenment, um, the benefit for beings uh, is by far and away the greatest for a Buddha. Now, when we do things, like Ramcha mentioned at the beginning of the talk, like go through the 22 examples of bodhicitta in its different stages, then we'd see this maturing of bodhicitta, and then we'd see the 22nd, so the, I think the last three of those 22 examples are about the level of Buddhahood. And so there, as we work through it, we'd see just how uh, the finest benefit for being, so it comes from being a Buddha. So this, this idea is just to stimulate a good motivation. Thank <laughs> you.